Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Coming in hot, 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 Lisa shares her financial tips and strategies to build wealth, have fun with finances, and be debt-free without having a restrictive budget. From bankrupt to millionaire, Lisa knows what it's like to feel as if you're living paycheck to paycheck. Her unconventional money multiplier system is the very wealth protocol that enabled her to retire two and a half years early, pay down $100,000 of debt in six months, and move to her dream home at the beach. Hey, hey, welcome to this episode of I Date Money. I'm your hostess, Lisa Drennan, your wealth activator on a mission to help women become millionaires. Today, we have the amazing Tracy, who is a seasoned media expert with over 3,000 interviews from articles in Authority Magazine and her Inc. Magazine column, and from her multiple top-ranked podcast. She brings practical working advice, helping podcasters find their unique binge-able factor, the thing that makes people come back again and again, listen actively, share as raving fans, and engage even more. I love that. <laughs> Tell us, Tracy, how did you end up monetizing your podcast this way and, and share this beautiful gift and talents with others? You know, I never intended to monetize my first podcast. I mean, I, I, I intended it as a vehicle to try out a business idea. So my very first podcast was in 3D printing and it was called WTFFF, What the Fuse Filament Fabrication. It's not a swear. <laughs> and we did it really to try to test out is like, should we have a business in 3D printing? Should we be doing this? Is there an audience? Can we build an audience? Can we market to them? It was just a testing ground for that. But very quickly, we discovered that people didn't want us to be 3D print designers or anything like that. They wanted the vehicle we created to be something that they could advertise their 3D printers, their filaments, their services, all of that. They, this, The whole entire community wanted us to turn it into a monetized model. So we said, okay, let's think about that. And I was still hesitant because I was trying to look at it like media, right? Like mm. I want to have my journalistic integrity. I don't want to feel like I'm bought to, you know, rave about something that I don't really love. And so that's kind of how it started. But what we decided was that we really would do these like couple of test advertisers. And so we took an advertiser for a month. We ran an advertisement for like uh, something you could download and test out and a webinar for another. And we just did that for a month. And then I wanted to remove the ad because the webinar was over. I wanted to remove the ad for my podcast. And my podcast editor, who's now my son-in-law, <laughs> told me it was going to cost more to remove or just as much to remove the ad as it was to put it in, as to edit my show the first time. And I said, no, I'm too cheap for that. I'm not going to do that. And I turned to my partner and husband and said, um, we need to invent a way that we can do this. And so within about 60 days, we had a system where we could drop an ad in and take it out. And so once we had that system, I thought, 
now I can do this because now an advertiser that I'm not sure I believe in, I can always remove their ad later so mm -hmm. I can keep my integrity. And so that's really how it came about. And because of that, it turned into our business. So we ended up spinning off and having our business productize come out of that to offer this software to people that would allow them to mix the ads in and take it out. But it came from this idea that I was, I went into monetization, kicking and screaming, basically didn't really want to do it. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, those are the best business ideas born. And they, they just, when we love what we do and we want to share that, we get to make money doing it and multiply our money. What are some other favorite ways that you like to multiply money? Well, you know, I think the most underestimated way is that people don't raise their prices soon mm -hmm. enough. They really need to do that or they don't charge the value to begin with. The very first speech I ever gave from the podcast. So, I mean, it, I had, we used to give speeches all the time, but the first one I was asked to give as a part of that 3D print podcast was at a trade show and they asked me to speak about pricing 3D prints. And that's because people were undervaluing them, especially freelancers, independents. They were just undervaluing them and looking at it as a, like, well, if you can buy this, you know, tchotchke, this item out in the world, then I should match that price. And that doesn't take into consideration all the artistic uh, time you put into something, the creativity you added to it. You know, it's just not about materials at the end of the day or time in this particular case. It is about the value of what you created and you've got to give it a perceived value. So looking at it from market value versus um, cost basis and trying to look at the two things. And that's what they, I gave a speech on. And when I finished the speech, a woman from Inc. Magazine walked up to me and she said, that's just the advice we want in our column. Will you write a column for us? And um, and I wrote a column for four years, wrote 400 articles all about that nitty gritty advice. And I could tell you that I probably wrote about raising prices, valuing yourself more, more than anything else that I wrote about. Yeah. And I can definitely see that because a lot of the clients that I work with in my wealth acceleration program, they come in, they want to, you know, they want to have a profit margin of, you know, $250,000 for the year. But yet they're only charging $29.97 for programs. I'm like, oh, yeah, this doesn't, it's not logically making sense. I let's hear, let me show you the profit analysis and show exactly what you need to do. And it takes them a little bit to work through that fear of like, I can't charge that much. People can't afford that. And I know I went through that same journey when I first started online coaching in August of 20. And, you know, I remember some of my, you know, family members and friends saying like, how can you charge that much? I'm like, what are you talking about? If if corporate hired me, which I was in corporate for 30 years, I'm getting paid good money to do what I do. I mean, why wouldn't I charge my value and my worth? But, you know, those outside, those external thoughts really, you know, tell us, okay, this is what you have to do because, you know, so-and-so said it. And I love creating my energy bubble and repelling those thoughts and saying, nope, this is my worth. And, you know, and seeing the value. When well, you and think I also think if you're not, your program, what you're selling isn't even for you. So like you have a program for somebody that's, you know, uh, millionaires, right? Whatever it is, it, it's very hard for you to authentically sell that and have confidence in it. And I, I have this great podcaster who's a friend of mine, Tony Bodo. He has a show with um, Betsy Westhafer called, uh, podcast called Really Know Your Customer. But mm -hmm. he came out of the hospitality training world. And one of the number one things that hotel chains and stuff would come to him complaining, our staff does not know how to sell upgrades. They don't know how to sell room upgrades. They don't know how to sell this stuff. And his point to them was, 
they've never experienced what the value of an upgraded room. They don't mm-hmm. know what your spa is like. They can't afford it. Why would they be able to successfully sell something that they have no perspective on? And that I think is really important for us to, if we're going to believe in what we have and what we're selling, and it's not our life, then we have to get some perspective on the value that we're providing, the life we're changing. What's the impact of that? Because if we don't get perspective on that, we're never going to be able to confidently sell that. That's a beautiful point. Definitely have to like pull that out as a sound bite because <laughs> that's amazing. And I, I know like five of my clients who need to hear that like right now. <laughs> I, think I'll, I think I'll send them a telegram message afterwards and say, hey, listen, <laughs> this is the deal. Because I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs have is knowing their value and having this the confidence and self-insurance. I went live in a group where I was teaching about um, crushing on debt. I have a monthly um, crush on debt membership. And a lot of the ladies that are in this group carry all this debt and they, oh, I don't have any income. I don't have enough money to do what I need to do. Well, what are you doing for income? You know, and this one woman had shared that she had signed up for this affiliate program, you know, to be a salesperson for this huge company that's doing very well. She signed up for the course, you know, the the commission-based program, and she hasn't sold anything yet because she doesn't have any confidence. Okay, what's that truly all about? Like, where's your confidence? Right. Yeah. So when you think about managing money, a lot of times people will say, well, I'm not really good with numbers. I'm not good with managing money. Like I'll, I'll let my partner do that. I, you know, I know I kind of just wing it. What's your perspective on, on managing money? So look, I went to art school. I just told this story to somebody else. I went to art school and there was no math. Like I literally never took a math class after high school. Now, luckily I did take calculus in high school. So I was a little more advanced there than most people, but I never took math in in college. So to come out of that and think that I could run a company to manage money, to put together a balance sheet, a profit and loss, that was ridiculous. And I was very lucky that I came out of college, went into a large corporation that required everybody to have this seven-week training program called Leadership Orientation Program. And I got into it and I had to learn. I had to spend a week learning statistical process control and another week to learn how to read a balance sheet and a profit and loss. I am so grateful for that, that they gave that to every employee. It didn't matter whether you were, it was a textile company, whether you're working in the manufacturing facility, running a loom, or you were working in the corporate offices, running a division. Didn't matter. You had to take that program. And I love that they did that because it gave me this framework of understanding it. So I don't feel like I manage money in a better way than anyone else or, or do it, but I have a little bit different view on it. And that maybe comes from being a product designer early in my career. I spent 25 years creating mass market products for things you buy at Costco, Walmart, Target every single day, like that, that stuff like that, that daily consumption model. So we were always paying attention to what will consumers pay for things? Is this going to be profitable? Is it going to be profitable from the beginning in volume? Are you going to amortize things? So like there were numbers and things that I had to learn and pay attention to. So it was not just a creative job. It had a financial impact. And I had to think about that because no one's going to consume something beautiful if they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's marketed. So it was my job to make sure that that good design could be cost effective. And so how do I do that? And what do I think about it? So I have a very different perspective. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, a lot of business owners who run everything on revenue. The only thing they care about is their revenue number. Mm-hmm. 
I cannot care about that at every stage of my business. When you're starting up a business, revenue is great. I want to see a growth factor in the early days. I want to see that I'm growing month over month over month, that my client base is growing month over month over month or my users or whatever it is. Like I need to see a steady growth factor in the beginning. I can't always worry about hitting a revenue number because mm -hmm. that revenue number might crush me. Mm -hmm. And crush my operations. So it's not always what you it's cracked up to be for you to have a focus in one place or another. So I like to take a little more holistic view of money management for a company and say, I want to look at my profit factor as increasing. And I do understand that sometimes in the beginning, because like, you know, when you created a product with tooling, you had to amortize that and it lowered your profitability, but it was only for X number of units or X number of months, right? Like, so you'd look at that for a time period of saying, okay, I'm going to accept this lower profitability, but if it doesn't improve by this date, I'm going to do something to intervene. And so very typically that's when we create price increases. We say, okay, this isn't working for us. We're going to have to raise our price here. And so we make that concerted decision because it, it didn't improve. So profit, revenue, growth, user growth, right? But more importantly, I care about traction too. I want to know that my clients are coming, are referring, coming back, sticking around. If that's not happening, there's a very high hidden cost of seeking new clients, seeking new business. And it is such a huge time suck, energy suck, and money suck. You won't realize it because it doesn't show up on your balance sheet, doesn't show up on the profit and loss for quite some time before you start to realize that that has having an effect. And so I really care that that's not losing as well, because if I'm having to replace my clients, something's wrong in my system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, focusing on the big picture, like, you know, we, in my program, we create wealth activation roadmaps that are customized to each individual to allow them to create a system. And, you know, a lot of people will come in thinking, oh, you're going to make me cut expenses. I'm like, no, you don't have to cut expenses. Like we're going to create money buckets and you're going to decide how you want to allocate your money, but knowing exactly what you want to do and just focusing on the gross revenue or the owner's comp or the operating expenses isn't going to get you to where you want to be, especially when you want to increase the growth and you want to expand and build out your team. You really need to look at the big picture. And when you think about your financial, um, your financials in your business, what do you see um, a lot of entrepreneurs doing as far as expanding so quickly with their money? And like, what do they pay attention to mostly where that kind of cripples them in growing their business? So I don't think a lot of them understand the concept of bootstrapping it, right? Like they don't really understand that. They um, they go for the investment dollar too quickly. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not a fan of that because the investment dollar doesn't tell you, especially in a startup stage in the early days, it doesn't tell you whether or not somebody is going to buy your stuff. So if I go for the freemium model and I just get a bunch of users to it, which is what my investors want to see, then I haven't really proven that I have a viable business. Mm -hmm. They don't realize it, but it it only proved to my investor that I could do what I said I could do and enroll a bunch of users. But now I can't get the users to use the platform. I can't get them to, co to cough up revenue. Now I have a different problem, right? So I'm always looking at that saying, I want to build my business in the most viable way. And sometimes bootstrapping, it makes sense. And so I'm a big fan of, and this is exactly how we started Podetize, is making sure that you're selling something. Like, so, you know, and like I have lots of inventors who used to come to me and they'd be like, oh, it's going to cost me, you know, $100,000 to make this product. And I'd be like, 
that's great. But do you know if anybody even wants to buy a coffee grinder? Like, you know, like, are you even sure you can access them? How much is it going to cost to market them? Do you know any of this right now? Why don't you sell an existing coffee grinder and then sell the special one that's going to cost so much more to make an inventory? So like, that's the model I came out of thinking wise. And so when we opened our business, Potatize, we said, we're going to offer done for you production services. And we're going to get our clients to pay prepay for a package. So mm-hmm. that we don't have to go get investment dollar. They're investing in services we're going to provide to them, but they're investing in it now. So they we, they would prepay for 52 episodes for a year's worth of episodes. And they would have it and it would stay on account. And the agreement we would give to them is just like, it's okay if you don't use 52 in a year, we're not going to expire them because you've come on and essentially loaned us your money for that time period. And you're going to produce at your own pace. And in exchange for that, we're going to keep them active for as long as you need them. And so that's how we did it. And the reality reality was is what it did was it gave us a great proving ground for people want to buy what we have to sell and Mm -hmm. we use their money. So on average, about every single year, we do somewhere between two and $300,000 of revenue that we receive from prepaids that are not used up by people. So we have got, you imagine how much money that would be in the early days of your business. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That could be everything for you. So it really has given us extra cash flow as we've needed it to scale up, grow, make our team be ahead of our production schedules. All of that, it's made it viable for us so that we didn't have to tap into a larger line of credit or we didn't have to get investors we didn't want. There are options out there that prove what that people want what you have to sell, that they're willing to pay for it and get you investment dollars at the same time. Yeah. And that's so important to have that business plan in place, you know, reverse engineer, like what's the ultimate goal, reverse engineer and set that up. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs kind of just go in it, not really knowing what to do. And they spend a lot of time and money. And a lot of times they feel as if they're being taken advantage of because they didn't get the results that they wanted. And, you know, by the time they come work with me, I'm like, well, what's the result that you want? Like, what do you want to do? Like, what's the purpose of you working with me? Like, what's your end goal? And they're like, well, no one's ever asked me that. <laughs> right. What are you What are you going to accomplish here? Right. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, you want to build a viable business. Now, look, if your goal is to immediately sell it out and you really don't care, you just want a bunch of users on it and then you're going to sell it to another company, you're going to make your million, you're going to be gone. That's a, a model, right? Like it's a business model. I don't personally like that model, but that's a business model if that's what your right. goal is and what you're going to do. So then what you're going to do is you're going to keep your uh, expensive artificially. You're not going to take a salary. You're going to like do all those things, but you're not creating a viable business that's going to go forward. You're going to create something that's going to be gobbled up by somebody bigger. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's a different model of business growth. And if you're managing and building a solid business, you're building something that's a lifestyle business, especially, it's got to be viable every day of the week. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, you know, putting an SOP in place is so important for business financials. And like, you know, I, you know, owners comp and profit first, we, we implement those And, you know, I can't stress that enough and setting money aside for your taxes. And I know a lot of people don't like the tax word. 
you know, and I get, I get DMS all the time about, oh, well, we can teach you how to, you know, avoid paying taxes. I'm like, I'm a former government employee. We, I pay my taxes. <laughs> I get but to there pay. are so many ways to not pay taxes in a business legitimately. Like if you're running your business the way that you should, there's so many ways that you're, you know, you spend research dollars and development dollars and you're getting a tax break. Right. Like, I mean, I, in this business, we've been in business now since 2017, officially in this business format. And we have not, I, I paid zero tax for the last six years because it's a startup. There's all these expenses early on and they're, they're, they just grow like that. So it's all legitimate. There is no like tax shelter, like any of that happening. Right. This is legitimate write-offs because building a business is hard and you get benefits for that. So use them. Exactly. But, you know, whining about it. That's not going to do anything. <laughs> it's not going to change the fact that you got to pay them at the end of the day. <laughs> Exactly. And I always say like, you know, when you pay your taxes, you get to support, you know, the community and the roads and, you know, you get all these different perks that we don't even realize. And, you know, we get to pay our taxes, we get to pay our electric bill, you know, it's fun, and it makes it fun. So when you think about money, I love personifying, you know, my business, my money, my thoughts. So thinking about money as a person, describe your relationship. (laughs) So I mean, I think over the years, it's been a little contentious. Right. You know, it's like it always for a long time didn't feel like there was enough. And then, you know, and then you finally get uh, enough and you go, "Mm, but that wasn't as much as I thought it was. (laughs) You know, so like I've sold businesses and thought that I was like at the end of the day, I was like, that wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Like I thought that would go a lot farther. Right. You know, so there is always kind of that perspective of things. But when I think about that sort of ideal for me Mm -hmm. is that it's it's invisible. It's not something I have to think about. And that's really wanted is I want this flow between my money and me to be this. It's there when I need it. It's not something I have to constructively think about on a daily basis. It's happening. It's flowing. And it's it's just right when I need it. I don't need, like I always, I always say this to people. I was like, I don't need a big bank balance. I just need a really good flow. And that's what I think people don't think of it like a flow. They think of it as a number. And Mm -hmm. I think of it as a flow. Yeah, I love that perspective because a lot of times we do look at it. Oh, how much money, how much assets do you have? Like, what's your bank balance? Like, what can you get to do? And, you know, a lot of times I interviewed a gentleman on here a few months ago who was a marketing expert and he had talked about sales and how he got really good at it in 2008. He ended up selling everything, his house, his cars, his boats, (laughs) because he was in real estate at the time and and everything was crashing and his business wasn't doing well. And he had to start all over from scratch. And then he realized that, you know, he put his value into the material things, you know, owning seven cars, three boats, a huge house. And then when he had to sell everything, he was just like, you know, this isn't my definition of wealth. And he had a different perspective on that. What's your definition of wealth? So look, it's like, it's really not having think. I think that so often people think of like lots of wealth and freedom as a license to do whatever they want. It is not. It is a responsibility. And so if I'm going to have the kind of flow of cash that I need, it means that my business is a high responsibility. It just does. Mm -hmm. And because that is the source of it. So it's coming from somewhere and that matters. And so what that is, is really where I concern myself with. And so I want to make sure that everybody's happy with what's happening there, that they all feel satisfied, that they're all good about that. And then when I go out to think about something, so this happened in 2020, I I woke up 
Mother's Day weekend and they had just opened up here in California. They had just opened up the car dealerships that weekend. And I and we had been down to one car and we had really meant to buy another one. But my daughter's from college. Just she didn't want it. She bought herself a new one and she graduated and she gave us our old one and it died. And so we had you know, gotten rid of it earlier, like six months earlier, and we didn't have a second car. And we were thinking, it's time we need to get, you know, now we're going to start driving again. And after the pandemic, or at that (laughs) point in the pandemic, we're going to start driving again, we better get a car. And so I woke up that morning and I said, I'm going to go buy the car I've always wanted. And I went out and I bought a convertible Mustang, which is the car that I've always wanted. And I bought it brand new off the lot. And, you know, I got a great deal then because they were doing 0% financing. And, you know, still they keep begging to take my car back. So I'll buy another one and start paying interest on it. And, uh, you know, and I got three months for free. Like the state was giving the subsidy for that. Like there was a whole bunch of things. So and I walked away with a fully loaded car. I never once looked at the price. Mm-hmm. that's the place that I always like to be. It's like, this is what I wanted. And every time I get in that car, I never think of what it costs me. I think of, oh my God, I'm alone in this car. The wind is blowing <laughs> in my hair. The sun is shining. Like, that's what I think. That's I when that. you know you've made it. Like, that's when you know money isn't money isn't a problem. It's, mm-hmm. it's just there, right? It flowed, right? When I needed it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tool that we get to use. You know, it's like any other tool. It's, it's, it's like a hammer or a screwdriver or whatever. We get to use this tool and and benefit. And I love that definition of wealth so that when you can be able to just, you know, not even look at the price and like, yeah, no, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to get. And oh, okay, sure. Here you go. Here's a check. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so this is it. That's what I wanted. Yeah, and I, I love the 0% interest. I love- <laughs> I know, I wasn't going to be like taken for that, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> No, it's the best way to make your money grow. Like when you can, and when you can, I love, like I was, I was telling a, a client, one of my favorite things is to g- see how many 0% credit cards I can get, right? I, I actually was addicted to them and got in trouble with it a few years back and racked up $100,000 worth of debt and had to go through some money mindset strategy and get down to the layers and, and work through the generational curse and the old money story and all that. And now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, oh my God, this is a game. Like I'm not a gamer, but this is a game. And you know, like to leverage that, to be able to grow your investments while you're borrowing someone else's money at 0%. I mean, come on, that's a no brainer. And if you get a car at 0%, that's phenomenal. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and- well, and you know, this look, Mike McCallowitz was on my show. That's, you know, I mentioned that when we when we kind of first met and Profit First is a model that we use. But I also use um, another model that um, there's a podcaster um, called Meryl Chandler, who does a, f- a podcast called Get Fundable. And it's a credit rotation system. So if you think about it, it's like getting the auto increases where your credit card just get, increases your limit automatically without you even doing anything. And so that you, that's a game as well, right? Like thinking about it that way. And so because you have buckets in the profit first model and you have these buckets for it, you can use those bank accounts and keeping them separate to actually also do the other game of auto increases. So I think of it like that. I think it's fun. It is fun. I think yeah. it's interesting and it's fun to understand how the system is really working and how I fit within the system. And I and I think the earlier we learn that, the better off we are. Yeah. I'm a certified profit first professional. <laughs> I know you are. That's why I was mentioning it. But <laughs> so I, I think it's there? really valuable, right? Because you yeah. don't think about these things as being separate. But I also think the one thing that lots of accountants don't do and a lot of people who advise about business money is you don't look at each of those buckets that in a time situation in a company, they're not all equal. 
Like mm-hmm. in the early days, I don't need a tax bucket at all, right? Because I've got a lot of write-offs in my early days of my business. So I can just eliminate that one temporarily, but I might need a definite pay me first model, right? Because I need to make some money or I'm not going to be able to support this business. I'm not going to be able to quit my day job. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's okay. You might have a different stage of things where some of those buckets are more important than others. And that's not always something everybody looks at. Yeah, exactly. And implementing that system, like, I mean, I have, I, I have my unconventional money multiplier system that I had used. And one of the things that I liked about Profit First was it was so in line with what I was already doing and had been doing for several years and, you know, creating the buckets. And like you said, like we always set aside the buckets, we can do up to 20, but having that money accounted for and knowing that at the palm of your hands, you know exactly where your money is. And I always like to say, like, you know, you, when you put your money aside for the taxes, it, you have it if, when tax season comes. And there's like some businesses that absolutely have to pay taxes just because they don't have, you know, like it's different if you have a manufacturer, if you have a brick and mortar versus a virtual. And a lot of times people do their own taxes and they don't know all the tax laws and they're not getting no. the right that they need. And it's <laughs> like, stop it. Let's get you an accountant. And I was a treasurer. It's you not know, a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's like, I'll do it myself. Like, no, no, don't stop. Just get a professional who knows these ins and outs who are staying on top of the law of the, of the tax laws because the tax setup is so different than the actual payouts. Right. And I always say like, you know, when I was working with um, self-employed people in corporate, when I was I'm retired from the social security administration, I had to evaluate people's, you know, tax returns. And like, I would have to find, like, we don't give in social security, you don't get all these tax write-offs. Like we look at your gross revenue and then we're going to add those things that you're getting excluded back into your income to see like, really, what is your true wage? Because, you know, some of the yeah. tax write-offs are like, I mean, come on, your, 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 you know, office in your house that you live in. <laughs> if you think about it, it's kind of bizarre, but from an entrepreneur, that's fantastic. I get to write this off. I get to write off the gas that I use in my car to go see clients and to go out to dinner and all of these things. Right. And so when you pay yourself first and you get in that habit of keeping that money, your business money separate from your personal income, it totally changes your perspective on how you're seeing money, as a person, because like, if you think about it, if you, if you, you know, when you're married and you come home from work and you talk about work all day, your husband or your mate, your wife is like, oh my God, shut up. Like, are you going <laughs> to keep talking? You know, it's the same kind of thing. Like if you personify your business, your business doesn't want your personal, no, go home. <laughs> We're at the office. Of course, dear. I'm married to my business partner. So, you know, <laughs> you can never know when yeah, it never so ends, right? Mess, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it, gets inter- it, it gets intermingled. But I think that that's really what you're pointing out, though, is really important is that that, that you have to think about these things as being like, where am I at my stage of business? Where am I at my stage of personal life? And those things are different. They're not the same year over year over year. And this is why I've at times had to fire accountants that just weren't right for the stage of business that we were at or wasn't right for the stage of life that we were at. They just, they they don't give the right advice for that kind of model of business, a business that might get acquired by another one or a business that had, like I had one client, I had one accountant who, when I looked at what he did on our tax return, I had to fire him Mm -hmm. because he was going to cost me double payment on my royalty because he was, because we received an advance on royalty and we'd already paid the money to taxes at the advance time. And now when it was coming in and getting reported, he was charging, he was putting it in again. 
Mm. Like we already paid it once. It doesn't count twice. You can't do that. Right. And so he didn't understand how to handle royalties. Like it was just an unusual thing for him. And so, well, great. I'm sure he was great at handling real estate. We just didn't happen to have any. Like right. it, you have to understand that there's different stages for you and there's different ex expertise areas that matter as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so important to know that and to work with an accountant. I have a client that's fired three accountants and, you know, <laughs> she's she now she's working with a profit first um, accountant and it's like, okay. <laughs> well, lots of accountants hate profit first if you're running it without a profit first accountant because there's too many bank accounts to deal with. Yeah. You know, so they but, like I get freaked out by it. <laughs> it's funny because those bank accounts make, make banking so much easier because there's hardly any transactions and it's like, boom, you're done. Like what you took 45 minutes to do gets done in three minutes. It's amazing. And it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. So people just see that and they do that with their money too. Like, you know, people make $390,000 and they don't have a penny to show for it. And it's like, well, where's all my money? Well, what have you been doing? You know, and then, well, we've been traveling, we've been doing, you know, make, you know, doing this and that and remodeling and Okay, well, there's your money. Well, I really want to. I really want to retire. Well, okay, then create a money Good bucket luck with that. For it. Yeah. <laughs> create a money bucket for that. But but then it's going to take away from my traveling. Well, then maybe you don't want to retire. Like, what do you really want? And then knowing what you want and going after it, you're unstoppable, right? That's right. So, I love your perspective on everything. Thank you so much for sharing all of the expertise. Tell us what is the best financial tip that you've implemented in your life, um, business or personal that you can share with the audience? Well, when I was really young, my mom worked for a bank. Um, and I think she worked for a bank before I was even born. And so the very first thing that she taught me that I clearly remember is probably being like 12, 13 years old. And she taught me how to balance my checkbook. I love it. The old fashioned way, right? Like, you know, I still do, that. <laughs> still do it the old fashioned way, right? To balance my checkbook. And the real thing about that is, is when you do that on a monthly basis, when you do that at minimum on a monthly basis, I actually balance my business weekly because I care to know where we are because things are growing so quickly. So, mm -hmm. you know, you decide your pace for you. But when you do that, it gives you much more perspective on where your money is going. It is not this mystery anymore. So whether you're implementing buckets or not, doesn't matter. You have a perspective on what went in and what went out. And things don't slip through when you're paying attention. And that's what my mom taught me. And so I did that with my oldest daughter. And I told you that she, you know, gave us her old car because we'd bought it for her, right? Well, she calls me up and she said, I'm going to buy a new car. And I have to thank you for teaching me how to balance my checkbook because my credit score is so good because of everything that I've done. And I, you taught me all this. And I was like, I think, I think I'm going to pass out. My 21 year old just thanked me, right? Like <laughs> I made it as a mom. Like it was, just, like, <laughs> it is my mom taught me that. And then I gave her the same focus and it has paid off. So and the my 13 year old now i'm having this difficulty with her because it's a debit card it's totally passive to her it mm -hmm. doesn't work like a checkbook does mm -hmm. and she's running out of money all the time now we have buckets there luckily the bank lets us do it for the the save and the spend and you're allowed to move the money over but i can't mm -hmm. tell you how many times she's been out of the spend Oh, <laughs> and she doesn't even understand it or know it. And so we that so we scheduled time over the holiday where I'm going to sit down with her and really go through that balancing of the checkbook and understanding how much money do you have and what happens with it? And why do you have to check this and things being delayed in coming through and understanding that perspective is really important. 
Yeah. And to teach them now is so important because then they'll create that habit and they'll always have money flowing all around them. That's beautiful. That's right. Well, thank you so much for sharing. For those of you listening, please check the show notes to connect with Tracy. If you need help monetizing your podcast or you need any to tap into anything that she's doing, connect with her, friend request her and get into her world. And remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it. for tuning into the show. Give us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Get ready to activate wealth. Be the next millionaire with a simple adjustment of your finances using an energetically aligned money multiplier system. You get to build wealth by partnering with money. It's time to have fun with finances. Pick a date. The link is in the show notes to book your wealth activation call where you will get the one solution to multiply your money. Remember, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's what you do with it.